purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Once again, it's time for the Higher Purpose Podcast. I look forward to our time every time we get together, and today's no exception. I certainly hope the same applies for you, and I want to thank you for joining me. Whether this is your first time, your 50th time, or your 118th time, because this is episode 118 of the podcast. A few months back, Lori Light contacted me via LinkedIn because of my work with gratitude, and she said there was someone she wanted me to meet. Someone who incorporates gratitude into her life, her work, and the company she serves. Naturally, I was intrigued. However, this involved a book. And as you know, I won't host a conversation with an author about their book unless two things have happened. First, I've read their book. And second, I believe you would benefit from reading it as well. Well, sometimes that introduces a delay in the process because it a lot of book reading involved. So weekend before last, Gwen and I were headed to the mountains and I took Culture Infusion by Carrie Wekelow. And while I was away, I read the book and I contacted Carrie and said, hey, let's get this conversation scheduled. So here we are. And it's an opportunity for us to get to know Carrie and unpack these nine principles that create and maintain a thriving organizational culture that Carrie writes about in her book, Culture Infusion. Let's get to it. Hello, Carrie Wekelow, and welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm so excited and actually thrilled to have you join us today. Thanks for having me. Well, Carrie, it, this is going to be a fun conversation. You've written a book, but before we get into that, for those of you that listen, you listening, you know I always start or almost always start. Every once in a while it ends up at the end, but start with gratitude. And I know that you are no stranger to gratitude, Carrie. So what's something you're grateful for in this moment? I live in Virginia and I love the season. So we're in the fall season right now. So I'm just very grateful for the leaves changing and the Christmas in the air. I'm just really grateful for that. Okay. So I'm going to ask, I mean, I live in the Southeast and this morning we had a dip in temperature and it was the coolest morning yet. Same kind of thing happening up there in Virginia. It is. And I absolutely love it. You know, I'm always ready for my next season and what it holds. So it just always gives me a little extra boost when we change seasons. Okay. So I think we're going to come back to that in a few moments because I believe you mean more than just seasons of the year when you say you're always ready <laughs> yeah. for the next season. So. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so Carrie, you have written a book. The book is called Culture Infusion, Nine Principles to Create and Maintain a Thriving Organizational Culture. Take us into that journey of what led you to discover these nine principles? That's a great question. So 
The book is really our case study at, at Actualized Consulting. That's the firm that I worked with. And I started in 2005 and we had five people. And that, the first five years were very focused on the financial operations, stability of the company. And we were very successful. And after that first five years, I wasn't personally happy. We had 33% turnover at the time. And I just, I looked, I just took a step back and said, well, we are so focused operationally and financially. Hey, what about our people? Because we're a consulting company. Mm. So I went to the partners and I said, let's shift that focus to our people first. And that's really what happened. And over the course, um, so you know, we're nine years in, and each year I just keep implementing new mm. processes, new procedures, new programs, all centered around our people, and just continuously do that. And what happened is, I love to write, and I was writing along the way about the wins that we were having. Mm. And so in 2016, when we noticed we had nobody leave that year. We decided mm. to start offering that to our clients and expand. And we're a financial services company. So adding that cultural piece as part of our service offering is definitely a different move for a niche firm. Well, I find that very interesting. And I said this to you right before we hit record, but I'll say it again. And I've read a lot of books on culture. And I would say probably the majority of those haven't done the math, but I know the majority of those have kind of been written from the outside. People that do culture work or people that have helped a company transform a culture. What really surprised me and then fascinated me when I got into your book is that it really is written from the inside out. And as you said, it's kind of the case study of your actual journey. It is. And as I was mentioning, the journey continues and I'm even looking right now as we go into the end of the year, going back to the fall season as how are we going to set our goals for 2020 and how are we going to measure the performance? And I have some ideas to change that yet again. Huh. So, you know, that's why I call it, you know, culture infusion because you can't just make a decision and then never revisit it or never go back to it. It's this constant, continuous. And I love to cook too. So that infusion, that word just really resonated with me. And that's why I just, I've been with the firm for 14 years and I pride myself on keeping things fresh and for the organization and make sure that our people are being put first and that it's going with the times. I mean, things constantly change each year with how people look at things. Okay, so a couple of things that I want to dive into mm -hmm. there. One of those, first, as someone who loves to cook, help us to understand when you chose infusion, why infusion and what does infusion mean to you? And, you know, what's a cooking metaphor that helps us understand the infusion process? Right. So you're infusing a flavor into a dish. And you almost layered in. My grandmother, she was Italian, and she was always like, you have to continuously layer in your flavors. Mm. And that, in a business, if I tell people, okay, one time a year, we're going to focus on our people, and I just say it, or I just say, this is our mission, and I'm not continuously talking about it or infusing uh -huh. it into the culture, then they're going to forget. So with our people first, for example, in our 
newsletters that go out each month. We have a kudos section. We have what are we grateful section all centered around our people, client feedback for our people, individual feedback for our people. We do star players. So we start with our people first in the newsletter. We start with our people first when we do our all hands calls each month. And we're constantly talking about it. So that's that infusion into the organization. All right. So I love that. A couple of things there, but the layering of the flavors. I don't think I've ever heard that <laughs> phrase before. And so I, <laughs> My grandmother would be happy. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I was savoring that as you said. It was just saying, wow, what if we really did think about that? Because as you said, so many companies that don't really get that culture is infusion. They think they can sprinkle salt on top once a year and that's going to flavor the culture for the whole year, right? So we have this big kickoff meeting and we do our culture push and then we come back and we hit the check mark. Okay, we've touched culture for the year. We're good. Done. Yeah. We're good. People do that with wellness programs as well. Yeah. And that's another big aspect of our company. We are continuously doing things around wellness and it's just one of those aspects it's like and I just laughed when people said yeah we have a great wellness program and I'm like well tell me about it oh yeah we just we do a wellness there once a year I'm like great okay <laughs> I mean but that's okay that's the norm but I like to be a little bit different and make sure that we're infusing that aspect as well okay wow multiple paths that I want to follow here so and I told you and you listening, if you caught last week's episode, you understood I took Jane Adhead's grant, her challenge to put aside my pen and just listen, not make notes. So I'm still experimenting with that. So Carrie, I want to follow these and I'm just trusting that the things I need to come back to, I'll remember to come back to. But what I want to tee up right now, I want to do a callback to episode 109 of this podcast, where I had a conversation with Jonathan Raymond, author of Good Leadership. And he and I discussed what, I don't think these were his words, I would call it the dirty little secret. I mean, show me a CEO today. There may be one that will stand up and say, we're not people first, because everybody's jumped on the people first or humans first bandwagon. But Jonathan's point is, most people don't really do anything about it. It's not really coming to life there. So in your book, you talked about this. And I'm curious, what led to the discovery for Actualize to put our team first? Well, a lot of it was centered around my own personal, what would make me feel better as um, a team member if I was putting other people first. Hmm. So I just started with what felt good to me and then went to the partners and asked them, let's make that our focus. And we're a consulting company. So all we do is our business is our people. Mm-hmm. And again, people say this all the time that, you know, we're only as good as our people. And that, it, you know, that is touche, right? If you're like, okay, fine. But what's different about the reason and what we do is that we truly mean it, A, and we're constantly checking in with our people. And that's one of my favorite aspects of my job is that touch with each one of our people. I have a practice when somebody new starts that I check in with them at least 
a month in just to see how things are going. And that's just part of what I like to do. And a lot of companies don't do that. I mean, one person recently thought that they were in trouble because I had reached out. So I, 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 I thought I needed, to, <laughs> I needed to shift. Like, listen, this is just a friendly check-in. No worries. But that person, I felt sad. They said, well, you know, that just would never happen in mm-hmm. other companies that I was a part of. So they really appreciated that touch. So what we're doing is a lot of little things like that. And again, infusing that along the way. And it just really makes a big difference. And I think our people, and I know a lot of what they say is that it feels like more of a family and everybody's super supportive. So it's not only at the management and leadership levels, it it goes down throughout the entire organization. We have different chat groups going on and to support some of our clients and specific, because we're very technical in nature of what we do, like financial, technical in nature. And it's really warmed my heart when somebody sends out a question, how quickly people want to help. So it's all throughout our organization that we have this culture of really supporting and lifting each other up. And it really is interesting. I'm intrigued at this story you just shared and how common that is, sad that it is, but people feel when you reached out, they felt mm-hmm. they had done something wrong, which kind of tells us that most workplaces, or at least the workplace this person came from, there was a very different culture before. Right. That the only time you heard from somebody on the leadership team meant you were in trouble. And that made me so sad yeah. for me. It's very gratifying to be able to provide an environment that people can feel supported. We spend a ton of time at work. So if you can feel supported and feel like you're making a difference, life's just going to be better in general for you on all levels. Yes. Okay, Carrie, I want to touch on something. And you mention it in your books. I think it's okay to talk about here. You are related to people on the management team, but you have chosen to not be an owner of the business. Is that correct? That is correct. Talk about that. So my brother is the founding partner. We grew up in a family business and it's still a family business. And my mom and her brothers, there's a lot of tension. They're all owners of the company. And I believe that a lot of that is they're trying to get ahead. Who's on top, right? Mm. And I just knew in my heart, and I really am big on following my intuition, and I know that having that segregation is very important, the success of the organization. And I just made that choice, and it feels good to me. The nice thing is, is when I did add the culture infusion piece on, that is my piece of the business, but that's different than being a partner or owner in the firm. So there is, again, that segregation. And I just think it makes a lot of sense. And we do get along very well. Clearly, we've grown. I mean, we've been working together for 14 years. And, you know, we have our moments because we're brother and sister. That's just, you know, so you go back to like acting like you're five. But it's very, very rare now. We smooth things out over the last 14 years. I'm really proud of us, actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, would you agree with this assessment then that 
were you a partner in the business, an ownership partner, they could do the culture piece because you kind of made them do it. You forced it in where the way you did it, you kind of had to persuade them of the business value of doing culture. Correct. Right. So when I'm bringing things to the table, I'm bringing a business case to the table. So I'm treating it very professionally. So even as I'm going into the next year on how I'm looking to change our goals and our performance review, I'm putting together a proposal Hmm. for it. And I think you're right. And I never really thought about it that way. If I was a partner, I might not be as professional about my presentation on new ideas. That's a good point. But thank you. I mean, it's just kind of like, oh, we have to do this because she's one of the partners. Right. Yeah. So, all right. You mentioned a word a moment ago that when I read this, I'm like, ah, this is interesting. You talked about heart. And in the early pages of the book, you say when it all comes down to it as the leader, the most solid foundation on which you can build is your heart. I would love to explore that a little deeper. (laughs) You know, I really just believe that you have to like really start with that leadership and check in with your gut feelings, that heart center, your intuition on how you're making decisions. And especially in the business sense, and Einstein talks about it, Bill Gates, talks about that intuition and that's very heart-centered versus the intellect, the head center. So what I always do is I go with that. First, I check in with my heart center and then I'll bring in the more analytical and the business case around it. But everything really does come from how I'm feeling about it versus being in my head too much. And every time I get in my head, that's when I get a little out of control personally. So I really try to center back in, take a moment to ground in, or maybe even take a week or two weeks if I really don't know what way I want to take the organization internally. Hmm. Okay. When I read that, I had the impression that this is bigger than just personal at Actualize. It's not just how you lead. It's how all of the team leads. And like I was saying before, everybody cares about the other people and the team, and it's a very supportive environment. Even recently, I had one of my key people leave internally that had been with me for a long time, and the amount of support that I was receiving from other team members, all different levels within the organization, was just amazing. I was so, I felt like, I mean, people always say, you know, how we make them feel, but I'm usually taking a lot of leadership in that, making other people feel good. So it was nice to be on the other side of being lifted up and supported. Hmm. Hmm. Another question, as I was reading the book, that something just kind of jumped out at me. How do you all create and sustain a culture of learning? We know learning is a competitive advantage, but how do you both create and sustain that? Sure. Well, given that we are more of a niche consulting firm, 
it's very important to keep your acumen strong, your subject matter strong in the industry and things change right now in the finance industry and all over technology you're getting into artificial intelligence, blockchain, all those buzzwords that are out there. So we give our people $2,000 a year that they can utilize on external training. So that's one way. The second way that we use is again, going back to that infusion. And we use our team members to do brown bags. We implemented something this year called Training Fridays. So at least once a month, people from the team are sharing on new topics. And we actually survey our team members to say, what are you most interested in? What would you like to learn more about? And so our own team, we're training each other. I do internal training as well. In a couple months, I'm going to be doing more on people management, leadership, that whole leading from the heart, and even more technically like roles and responsibilities. So it's a constant infusion. We'll go back to that word that we just keep doing it, the learning piece over and over, and we keep changing it each year. Even going back to our all hands calls that we have each month, this year we changed it that whatever people needed is what we would have the theme of that call. For this past month, we did it on client satisfaction because we're coming up into the review. A lot of people's bonuses are around client satisfaction and we actually talked to our clients about how our people are performing. So we wanted to discuss that process and give some more tips and hints on how to be a good consultant and how to have high client satisfaction. So it's again, that continuous infusion. I mean, I hate to go back to it, but it's true for us as an organization. Okay. So another point I want to ask to help contextualize this for you listening. You said when you started, there were five of you. Wasn't that the number? Correct. What's the size now? Just so people understand. We are at about 85 people right now. Okay. And your people? We have... Offices in New York and Northern Virginia, London, so UK and Canada right now. So we've continuously expanded as well. That was the point I also wanted to hear there, Carrie, is in this expansion then, so people are at multiple offices, and I'm sure in today's world, some people work in remote offices. Mm -hmm. How do. do you infuse culture? Absolutely. And that is a big question in the recruiting process as well. People want to know how do you infuse that? And that's why it's important that we're constantly on the forefront is the culture. So with technology, it's great. We use Zoom, GoToMeeting, Slack. There's all types of different technology, video conferencing type opportunities, pinging people constantly. But we have things in place on a monthly basis where we have an all hands call that everybody gets on. And then I've actually started doing it with the different offices to have a little bit more intimate setting so they can ask more questions. Each of our practice group areas have monthly calls where they're talking about what's going on within their own groups. And we do encourage our team leaders to be checking in with their teams, the people that are underneath of them as well. 
I do check-ins still. And it's just one of those things I know, like I said, was saying earlier, it is something that I feel very passionate about is that I am checking in with people. I coach some people on our team. We do social events as well, cause-related events. We do a lot of around wellness. And one that I wanted to share because you're so into gratitude is last year in November, we did Moving with Gratitude. So each day we were doing a challenge on movement, but we were also challenging each other to talk about gratitude and what they were grateful for. And you got points for that as well. And even random acts of kindness. So those types of, and we make sure that we have people from different groups, different offices on each one of those teams. So that's a really good way to have more commodity in the business and the organization when you're doing things that are more fun in nature. And then also the cause related giving back together really encourages that team connection for sure. Hmm. Okay. Something just hit me, Carrie. And yes. we went deep <laughs> on infusion, but we didn't define culture as you define culture. Mm -hmm. And that just right, hit me. I'm right. thinking, gosh, we did all this conversation about infusion, but I don't know if you had this experience. I've had this experience that I've talked to different people about culture to find out they were thinking something different. So how do you define culture? We've, we've defined infusion, but what's the culture that we're infusing? I really look at it as the pulse of your organization. Mm -hmm. How are people feeling? How are people acting? How do your customers feel about your organization? In this day and age, what do you look like from a social media perspective? Mm -hmm. What are you portraying out there? And that's one thing that we didn't talk about that we do a lot is we survey our team throughout the year on small items to uh -huh. check in on what they need and what they want in different aspects of the business. So I'll just say really the pulse of the organization. Okay. I love that. What do you see as culture? I'm curious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the pulse of the organization is very similar. I'm not sure if I've ever heard anybody say it quite like that, Carrie. So I was pausing a moment to just kind of, you know, let that soak in. Yeah, but basically, so I could say this definition would be an alternate wording of pulse, but it is the way we do things here, right? And there's so many things that come into that, but it's our belief system. It's our values. It's how we treat one another. But if you really want to talk about what do you look at and what do you see as culture, it's just how we do things here. And every company has a culture. Most of them have it by default. You know, a few have it by design. And so I'm always intrigued when I meet someone that is intentional on designing the culture. And then the whole process of infusion, like I said, was very intriguing to me. So I think those definitions of culture are compatible. Do you agree? I agree 100%. Okay. Yeah. I love that. It's how we are. Yeah. Yeah. And people, even on their first day when they're coming for that initial job interview and you start having that conversation, they've already formed some impressions of how you do things here. And we spend a, there's a lot of emphasis on the recruiting process and having the conversations with our prospective recruits. I always talk to people before we hire them. And what I hear is that 
everybody has the same message. Everybody has the same feel on the organization. And that always makes me very happy when I'm hearing recruits telling me that that's what they're hearing, that's what they're feeling from the people that they're interviewing with, is that we do have a great culture and that everything that they've read online is true. Isn't that a great feeling? It is such a great feeling. I love it. (laughs) It just makes me proud for where we are right now as an organization. And we'll just continue to, to get better and better. But it makes me love my job and love what I do. Because I've heard stories and I've had the experience. And I think this is probably the experience of more people than not. And you and I both want to see that change. But that is that people had some kind of impression of an organization, joined with that as their hope, and then discover that it's different. And discover that what they hoped would be true wasn't actually true about that company. So I think it's beautiful when what you're saying is people have this consistency of experience through multiple people, multiple channels. And then they just see that in, like you said, in year 2016, wow, no attrition this year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What did we do differently? (laughs) I was like, oh, really? Wow. And that's the thing. I wasn't tracking it. I'm not very big on metrics. (laughs) just kind of go with what I know will be good for the organization. I know that works for me. Like I didn't have a huge plan. It just all came together and it continues to evolve and it will continue to evolve. Okay. So I'd like to do a couple of things here in the time we have remaining. And you started touching a few moments ago on a couple of those, even though you might not have been unpacking them as a principle. I know from reading the book, they were principles. There are nine principles. We don't have time to do a deep dive on all of those. Pick one or two that you'd like to go deeper on. Maybe the one or two that are more unique that may not make the other list that people have seen or heard about culture. Right. And I touched on it just real yeah. briefly a few minutes ago. It's surveying your team. And I know many people hear the word survey and they cringe. And I'm sure you've experienced that too. As a listener, that survey, we really have taken a different look on it. And throughout the year, we're constantly pinging our people on specific topics, whether that is, what would you like to do? We do an annual retreat where we bring people together. And that's another one of them is encouraging that team connection that we I briefly talked about earlier too. You're right. It's like I talk about the principles, just I just talk about them with examples of what we do as an organization. Right. We do an annual retreat. So we surveyed our people. What activities would you like at the retreat? What do you like about the retreat? I always ask open-ended questions because that's where I get a lot of the information is that summary level detail. And I know we're a small organization, And I've heard from larger corporations, it's really hard. But with all the data out there in the market right now, you can analyze and pick up on those types of words and gather themes automatically as well. So that's just one small example. And that also goes to other items on, okay, what do you want? What types of benefits would you like? Mm. And a couple of years ago, when I asked that question, I thought it was going to be, I want more money. I want more time off. 
But people said, we want more options to save money. So we added a profit sharing aspect to the business. And I wouldn't have known that if I didn't have. And so those are just a couple examples of the surveying, but we're constantly doing that throughout the year. So we're hearing from our team. And the key that we're very focused on as well is, hey, this is what we decided based on your feedback. And if there's a theme that we didn't go with, we tell them why we didn't do that. I think it's very important if you are going to survey that you thought you complete the cycle with what you decided. And if you didn't decide to do something, why you decided not to do it. So people understand. Okay. So Carrie, I'm going to just do a pause here and do a call out and say, I wanted to interrupt you a few moments ago, but I'm also working to not interrupt. (laughs) And by not interrupting, you just closed the loop on what I wanted to ask. And that was, how do you make sure, to me, I mean, one of the keys for people to not feel survey fatigue Mm -hmm. is to show your responsiveness to what they've told you. Even if decide differently based on what you ask input on. Say a little more about that, why that's important to you and how that makes the survey process more vibrant and prevents people from saying, what, another survey? And I always go back, and I sometimes I joke because a lot of policy procedures, how we run the organization, started with, what did I really hate about my last job? Mm. And I hated surveys before, hated them. <laughs> like, I mean, I know hate's a strong word and I didn't like them because I never got the results back. So I felt like I literally, it was a black hole that the survey data went into and I never heard anything back. So I didn't want our people to feel like that. Right. So that's why I'm constantly going back to them with the results. So it's really based on my own personal experiences from jobs that I had before. I'm so with you on that. Yeah. And reading on it as well. And I used to do focus groups and I used to do a lot of surveying of people in a previous job and a consulting job that I had. And so I'd learned a lot and I had read a lot about it. And that was one of the things that they were adamant about in a few books that I read. So I was like, okay, I'm going to follow this process very specifically. And it works. And also keeping them short too. You don't want it to be a long survey that loses people's attention. And I always have, is there anything else you'd like to share? Hmm. Hmm. Because sometimes people are like, they'll throw in up something from the kitchen sink <laughs> that maybe they want me to know but at least it's anonymous I don't know where it came from and I can hear and sometimes I don't have them anonymous but sometimes we do it depends on that topic so earlier you mentioned that your process is always changing or open to change right you're infusing these but it may not always be nine and something may change about one of these nine. So it's been a couple of years since you've written the book. How has your understanding of these principles changed in that time? That's a great question. They've evolved. And so the one that I'm working on right now that I'm going to shift is around our goal setting and how we do performance evaluations. I don't have the exact answer, but I'm working on that right now. I have some good ideas. So that one will shift 
Another one that is not in the book that I'm spending a lot of time on is gratitude. Mm. And I would want to add that in as gratitude. Gratitude, my team, we actually each week, my internal team, we do a weekly gratitude where we're talking about something that we're grateful for about ourselves. Like we do inward and outward gratitude and also what wins were we grateful for in the past week. And so I think that's a big piece of um, the business. And as I started doing more seminars and more team building, and I started adding gratitude into my seminars, the energy shifts so drastically. Okay. And I, (laughs) it just does. Please say more about that. What does that look like? What have you done differently in these events? And who else notices that the energy has shifted or how have you noticed it shift? Well, I do some active listening. I do an extreme listening exercise in my seminars. And we usually talk about how you, a challenge that you face and how you work through that challenge. And it's part of the exercise because that, I think that's, that's a really big piece. And we haven't talked about that today. But that's a big piece of our organization, too, is handling those challenges as they come up. Well, it actually happened on accident that I had some extra time at the end of one of my seminars. And so I said, let's get back into groups and let's just freeform just for a minute to say everything that you're grateful for and just keep going for a minute. Just keep going, going, going. And I felt the energy shift Hmm. and everybody, everybody Oh, that felt so much better when we had the conversation afterwards. People were saying, oh, I feel so much better. We were talking about challenges before, so I was a little stressed out. So it was nice to pivot into what I'm grateful for because I'm grateful for so much. Mm, wow. So, so much to be grateful for. So now I always use gratitude. I always end with great gratitude. Sometimes I even begin with it. As you said in your, at the beginning, you're, sometimes I begin, sometimes I end. So we have a parallel there that it's just very prevalent and it's something that I've added into our organization more, added into my seminars and coaching more as well. Okay. And when you talk about seminars and coaching, are these both internal with your team and external with the clients you all serve or? Yes. Okay. I, I always say I serve actualized first and then, you know, outside as well, but I really do enjoy working with clients and other organizations to share more on our story and what's worked for us. Okay. So you would add gratitude, which I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about. And then (laughs) the question I'd love to whatever degree you're comfortable talking about it now, because I know you haven't made a decision as an entity, but, and so many people are wanting to do something different with their performance review and evaluation. And so what's the driver Mm -hmm. for that for you? What's just not feeling right? And what do you want to see done differently, even though you may not know how you're doing it differently yet? Yeah. And that's why when I make changes is when it doesn't feel right to me. Okay. And I know that's (laughs) that's funny, but it's just true. And what's not feeling right and where I feel like is the actual rating piece of it. And Mm. that's what I'm exploring. And I know some of, I was actually in the UK last month as well. And the company that sponsored the book launch was called Clear Review and they have a software system. 
and they're moving away from the ratings piece. And I think it's important. You have to have some sort of way to rate. But what they were talking about in some of the other firms, and there's a Harvard Business Review, Deloitte's doing it now, that they're asking specific questions. And I've been thinking about what would those questions be for us as an organization? And we're very big on accountability and being able to be accountable for things that you've signed up for internally, client work. Can you manage a client on your own? Maybe that's one of the questions. Are you, is this person ready to manage a client relationship? Mm. So instead of being into the weeds, asking that question on where they need to be next in the organization, right? What's the next level for them? And are they ready to, to take on that? So that's what I'm working through right now. And it feels better to be asking those questions versus a number rating. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I just want to hear how that unfolds for you as you continue I'll on that journey. I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm working on it right now. Oh, good. That's for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Carrie, is there something we've not yet discussed in our time together that's really important for you that we discussed to make this conversation complete? I love that question. I'd say the one thing that we didn't talk about that's very important for me personally and our organization is that prioritization of your own personal wellness and making sure that you're taking good care of yourself. Because if we don't take care of ourselves first, then we're not going to be able to share and we're not going to be at our best. So I think that's really important that each day that you're taking some time to do something that inspires you, that you love, and just taking time for yourself. Okay, so I know that is important to you, and I'm curious because of another word you use that's important to actualize, how do you help people be accountable for their personal wellness? You help them feel how it feels when they're taking care of themselves. Mm. So you don't really tell them you need to do this. You just encourage. And that's why I personally share something each week. I write or I do a video each week, kind of like you do your do your podcast, but share from personal experiences. And when I do my coaching and somebody is a bit hyped up or maybe they're spinning, they're not feeling well. My first question is always like, what are you doing for yourself? Mm. What does that look like right now? And nine times out of 10, that's what they took off their list. And I even fell into it when I was really busy a couple months ago. I wasn't doing my normal routine. I love to move. It, it really helps me, the person. And I was backing off on that. And that wasn't helping my situation at all. Hmm. And one of my team members actually brought it to my attention. So I love it when people come back to me with my own yeah. strategies. I love it. I'm like, great. Thank you. You're right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to focus on myself. And then, you know, I was able to get out of that. And huh. I know how important it is to me. And it's one of those things in an organization too. If somebody even comes up to me, hyped up, I'm like, why don't you go for a five, 10 minute walk and call me back. Hmm. So they feel that. Yeah. Here's what I heard listening to you in that is that you hold up a mirror for people rather than hitting them with a hammer. Absolutely. 
Correct. Because you're only going to make a change if you feel it and it feels good to you. I can't tell you anything. Right. I I can, but I'd rather you feel it out. (laughs) Yeah, we have told people things and it's not that effective, so. No, no. All right, Carrie, for people that want to take another step with you to continue a conversation, whether that's through the book or otherwise, how might they do that? Sure. Well, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So just Carrie Weckelow, if you search for me on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. You can go to our website, actualizedconsulting.com and get in touch with me that way. I would love for you to connect with me and, and we can start a conversation. All right. Well, thank you for joining us and sharing in this conversation, Carrie. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. I love your format and I love that you're going more to the listening and in the moment coming back and focusing. So I love that. So thank you. Here we are at the end of another episode of the podcast and a second time conducting the listening experiment where I was free of note-taking and diving all into the conversation. Oh, you can hear more about that in episode 117, my conversation with Jane Adshead Grant, if you've not heard that yet. Some thoughts that are lingering in my mind. Number one, this whole idea, I've used the word before, I didn't know other people had used it, of culture infusion, and I loved how Carrie reference that to the cooking experience and how her grandmother taught her to infuse flavors over and over spices. And that is the process. If you're serious about culture, it is not a one-time address. It's not a one-time experiment or exercise. It is something that you keep revisiting over and over, and you're infusing it. And culture becomes infused in and through your organization. A second thing that stood out to me, even though Carrie has written a book and things are documented, it continues to change. And that's the truth with culture, is that culture is this living, breathing, moving thing, and it is not static. So if your approach to culture is static, you're probably missing something. So I love that idea of keeping it fresh and evolving the conversation and the process. And finally, I love that gratitude has taken a life of its own at Actualized Consulting and how they have included and incorporated gratitude in so much of their work and have watched the power of gratitude come to life and bring new life to their teams, to their relationship with their clients, and to their projects. Hey, speaking of gratitude, we are just about to launch another 10-day Gratitude Challenge. This one's going to run November 11th through the 22nd. We invite you to join us. If you hear this after that time, there's still a way for you to join the next 10-day Gratitude Challenge. So go to, as you'll hear in a moment, the gratitudechallenge.community. Sign up, join us, because we believe gratitude is the gateway to a life and work of abundance. Hey, if there's something here that resonated with you, call me. It's 678-744-5111 or drop me an email, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. Until we connect again, I invite you to live, love, and lead with purpose. What could 10 Days of Gratitude do for you? 
find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together. 